Hello guys, now this might be a little annoying to you, but I am just realizing that I don't need to do a video and a podcast of the book as my hosting service is also putting the podcast to YouTube. So now my work just got a little lighter. I don't have to do a video. Please understand this is not my area of expertise. I'm learning every day about this content creation thing. So kindly bear with me. At this rate, five years from now, I will be blowing your minds. <laughs> Never mind me. Let's just get on with the rest of the story. Today, I will read you chapter nine titled Something Crazy. Remember to like, subscribe, share, follow, comment, all the things you know I like and will make you a treasure in my eyes. And go ahead and share it with someone who you think will like it as well. Now for the story, I'm your host, L.T. Bartek. Chapter 9, Something Crazy Janet had stayed behind after the rangers left because every instinct in her body was telling her there was something else here. As rangers and volunteers drove away, she turned and walked back into the woods and veered left, following the sound of the river. Suddenly, off to her right, she saw something glistening in the disappearing sun under some dried leaves. If the sun had not given up all its glorious last light, she might not have spotted it. She walked over and, using a stick she found close by, she moved away the dried leaves and twigs and lifted the object up by the genuine silver chain. She laid it back down, pulled out a rubber glove from her pouch, pulled it on and bent to pick the object up again. It was a pendant, and in it was the faces of a woman and a man from the black and white era. Their hairstyles and clothes confirmed that fact. The locket shone in the sunlight and glistened in the palm of her gloved hand. It was made of the finest silver, and it had some weight to it. There was also beautiful engravings on both surfaces. The drawings were of vines looped in a circle with three birds perched in the midst. The drawing was expertly done and it was beautiful. The chain holding it was broken at the clasp and was just as beautiful. It too was made of the finest silver. She turned over the chain and saw that something looking like blood was on it. She pulled one of the evidence bags she always carried with her and gently placed the locket inside of it to avoid tarnishing any evidence. This was what she was meant to find. This was what was taking her back here. She was elated, confident that this would lead her, even in part, to Alexis Killer. She had the strange feeling that she was being watched and looked around for a few minutes before turning and heading back to the station. Now she could end her search for today. She drove back to the station just as the sun had finally set. She documented the locket and got it ready to be sent to the lab in Asheville for analysis. By the time she was done, it was just her and her father at the station. The two rookies were out patrolling and Elizabeth White was going to be their 911 operator for tonight. All emergency calls would be routed to her at home. There was hardly any calls at night in this sleepy little town, 
So the role was alternated, and whoever had that shift for that night could stay home and take these calls. She had just finished getting everything sorted out when she saw her dad getting up from behind his desk and stretching. He too was ready to go home. As usual, there was no one in the holding cell, so when that was the situation, they would usually lock the station down, but leave the lit intercom button on the left side of the entrance door on. This was again linked to the night emergency operator. This was another way someone could contact the emergency operator if they came to the station. Sometime later in the evening, the rookies would come back to the office after completing their patrol and they would let themselves in and stay until the end of their shift. Jan waited for her father to walk out of his office. She turned one last time to look at the envelope with the locket on her desk. It was still sitting beside the desk organizer, waiting to be picked up. Her father came out of his office and shuffled past her. She turned and followed him out. The moment she stepped on the asphalt, she again felt as if she was being watched. But as her eyes scanned the empty buildings and across the street and the vast empty lawns attached, she saw no one. So she got in her car and followed her father home. Later that night, she got a call. Matt Lawrence was screaming into the phone and Joseph Tate was also screaming in the background. Something had gotten inside the station and was wrecking havoc. They couldn't see what it was, but that made it even more frightening, so they had to get out of there fast. Standing outside, they called the captain. Jan had started keeping his phone so that he could get what little sleep he could with his leg constantly in pain. She heard it ring and in one fluid swoop, rolled out of bed and grabbed the phone. She saw that it was from the night officers and answered it. At first, all she heard was screaming. Okay, guys, calm down and tell me what happened. I'm putting some clothes on. I'm coming. She placed the phone on speaker and threw it on the bed, then went to get a pair of jeans and white t-shirt from her closet. Joseph took the phone from Matt, who was still hysterical. He put it on speaker and began to relay the incident of the last few minutes. She saw a shadow by her bedroom door. Then the door was pushed in, and her dad walked in. He had on pajamas and a frown. What the heck is going on? he asked, sleep making his voice gruff. The boys have been attacked, Jan said, sliding on her pants. Joseph heard his captain's voice and addressed him. Captain, something's very strange has happened here at the station. We're out front. What do you mean strange? Explain. Joseph began to speak. We were still sitting at our desk in the station logging our reports when we saw the door open, but no one came in. We thought it was strange and got up to take a look. Then the lights went out and it became pitch dark in there. I heard Matt scream and he kept saying, something touched me, something touched me. But we couldn't see anything, it was so dark. I turned on my flashlight and that was when I saw something moved over by Jan's desk. Then the decks just overturned and papers were flying everywhere. What in the world? Captain Chase said, but Joseph was still talking, obviously shaken up and panicking. Joseph continued, I slowly moved to the desk, but nothing was there. 
Matt stayed up front to catch whatever it was, but he too saw nothing. Then we heard what sounded like a lion mixed with a bear growling from your office. It was so loud it was as if it was coming from a speaker. I turned and fired a few rounds in there, and that's when a stapler flew by my head. After that, we hightailed it out of there, because I couldn't see where it came from, who threw it, or what was making that noise. Jan, now fully dressed, stood staring at her father, and he, her. Not sure what to make of this. Then realization struck, and Jan grabbed up the phone and asked, Did it only go by my desk? Um, what? Joseph asked. Did it only mess my desk up? Jan said. Well, the whole darn office is messed up, but yeah, that was where it was hiding. But yours was the only one that got overturned. Where is the animal now? Is it still inside? Captain asked. Matt chimed in then and shouted to be heard. No, it came outside after us, and I think it ran up the road. What? Jan asked. Yeah, Joseph chimed in. We saw the door bang open after we got out, and something came out, but we didn't see what. Gosh damn it, Sam said, annoyed that he had to lose sleep to go out after just getting to sleep himself, and angry that something had attacked his officers and station. Why did you ask about your decks, Jan? Matt asked. Because that's where I left the new evidence to the case, a locket. I left it sitting on my desk in an envelope for transport. Wow, but what came in there was not human. It was an animal, a large animal, but we never saw it. Why would an animal go for the evidence? I don't know, but we are on our way. Be sure I will find out. It might still be in there, Jan, Matt said, still sweet on her. The evidence, that is. Might be, but it's strange that it went straight to my desk. She looked at her father, who looked as concerned as she was. They finished getting dressed and drove back to the police station. Matt and Joseph, a.k.a. Joe, were still standing outside when they got there. Their blood pressure is only now returning to normal. After a while, they decided to venture into the office, guns drawn. The lights were still out. They flicked the switch and the lights came on immediately. The office was in full disarray. And yes, Jan's desk was the only one that was disturbed. Matt and Joe went over to it and they both turned her desk back on its feet. They gasped when they saw the large gashes in the wood. It looked as if what had overturned it had massive claws, about the same size as a large bear. They looked at each other, dumbstruck. After a while, Matt began picking up the papers and office supplies and placing them back on the desk. They searched around for the evidence envelope, but it was nowhere to be seen. It was gone. If you're still here, thank you so much for listening. And come back tomorrow for the next chapter, chapter 10, titled Got It. Remember to love yourself and others, and I'll catch you tomorrow. Take care. Love you. Bye.